Well, happy Easter, everybody. And he is risen. Very good. Anyone want to hear the Easter story today? So do I. I'm so excited to share this version, too. We're going to be looking at the Easter story as recorded in the book of Mark today. And since the beginning of our church, this has been the one I've really wanted to do. And I've always been, oh, we're not ready yet. We're not ready. We'll never be ready to take this one on. It's my absolute favorite. And I want to start by saying something about how the Gospel of Mark ends that I never knew growing up. And that is that the Gospel of Mark, somewhere along the end, somewhere along the line, somebody added an alternate ending to it. And that alternate ending is in most of our Bibles. But I didn't know that that was an alternate ending that was added later, at least apparently. If you go back to the oldest and the most reliable manuscripts, most of them end where we're going to end today, at verse 8. And I want to do the best job I can with the time that I've got to show why I absolutely love where the original ending, or or I shouldn't say original ending, but where the ending that the oldest and most reliable manuscripts have, why that ending is so fantastic. All right, we got to get a running start at this, so I'd encourage you to write down something that didn't happen on Easter Sunday, but happened on Friday, but it's very important for us to establish this before we move on. If you have your notes, take them out, please. Write this down. Jesus of Nazareth died on a Roman cross. And what we're going to do is we're not going to open right away to the, the Easter story. I want to just back up just a tiny bit before it, and we're going to look at Mark chapter 15, starting with verse 42. So if you have your Bibles, let's open up here. This again happened on Friday. This didn't happen on Easter Sunday, but it helps us to establish everything that follows. I want to let you know, too, as you're opening up our Bibles, if you don't have a Bible, we'd love to give you one free today. On your way out, please take one as a gift to you. All right, so here we go. Matthew chapter 15, starting with verse 42. When evening had come on Friday, since it was the day of preparation, that is the day before the Sabbath, Joseph of Arimathea, a respected member of the council, who was himself looking for the kingdom of God, took courage. And he went to Pilate, and he asked for the body of Jesus. Pilate was surprised to hear that Jesus should have already been dead. And summoning the centurion, Pilate asked him if Jesus was already dead. And when he learned from the centurion that he was dead, do you think Mark trying to make a point here? Is Jesus dead? He's dead. All right. He's dead. Yeah. Make this, this point. Uh, where was we? Uh, here. And then he learned from the Syrian that he was dead. He granted the corpse to Joseph. Okay. Jesus was executed on a Friday. It was known as the day of preparation. And as we just read here, there was a respected member of the Jewish council named Joseph who courageously came forward before the Roman governor, whose name was Pilate, and asked for the body of Jesus. And what's interesting here, among other things, is this was a series of events only God could orchestrate. Because just prior to this thing that we just read here, this same centurion had just made a proclamation, surely this was the Son of God. So he's actually setting up the whole gospel here, right? This Roman centurion. This is the Son of God. The Son of God is dead. And then we're going to be reading in just a minute how he was risen and risen indeed. So Joseph was granted oversight over this burial, and now he doesn't have much time. Please write this down. And we're going to explore it for just a bit. Jesus died on a Roman cross and his body was placed in a Jewish tomb. Now this matters and it matters a lot. The timing of Jesus' death was more significant than I ever realized. And I want to encourage you to pull out your notes here if you haven't already and take a look at this. In fact, I'd encourage you to take out a pen or pencil where it says Mark 15, 33 through 39, circle the words ninth hour. 
This came a little bit before what we just read here, and it tells the time when Jesus died. He died at the ninth hour. On our watches, that's about 3 o'clock in the afternoon. Okay. Mark is creating some tension here when you consider that this is going to be a Jewish burial. He's creating tension in light of what was written centuries before. The next little section of Scripture that we have below that, that comes from the Jewish Bible. We call it in the Christian Bible, Deuteronomy chapter 22, verses 22 through 23. And here I'd want you to encourage you to circle same day. Because what this passage does for a good Jewish person is it says, if someone dies the way Jesus dies, you're supposed to bury them on the same day. Okay, well, the Jewish day ends when? It ends at sundown. So if it's 3 o'clock in the afternoon or later, you don't have much time, do you? You don't have much time to do this burial, especially when you consider the magnitude of what's going on with this guy, Joseph of Arimathea. He has only four or five hours to compose himself after the death of the Messiah and his role in it. He has only a few hours to count the cost of what might happen if he takes this step of faith and steps up to do this. He has only a couple hours to make his way through town on foot, find Pilate, get an audience before the Roman governor at this crazy time, and then he has to wait for Pilate to summon the centurion and for the centurion to arrive and confirm Jesus' death. He's got to buy a shroud, prepare a tomb, secure all the other items needed for a burial. He's got to take Jesus down for the cross, prepare Jesus' body, place him in a tomb, and accomplish all of this in a reverent and God-honoring manner. Do you see how that little detail that Mark includes, ninth hour, is a really big deal? Now, our church has a group that can get things done. We got some, we got some get-or-donners here, right? God's given us a team where, for instance, do three services in three hours, right? You know, three to four hours, we can do a lot. May I present to you this team that God's established here, we could not have pulled off this burial, all of these things. Could we? Three to four hours? No. I don't think we could have done it. And Joseph of Arimathea couldn't complete everything either, even with some help from some courageous, courageous women. Let's continue with our text, verse 46. So Joseph, after getting Pilate and all these things, he bought a linen shroud, taking Jesus down, wrapped him in the linen shroud, and then laid him in a tomb that had been cut out of the rock. He then rolled against the entrance of the tomb, this big stone, and Mary Magdalene, and this is important also, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where he was laid. So again, with some help from some brave women who were followers of Jesus, Joseph was able to place the body of Jesus in the tomb before the Sabbath began. But they didn't have time to complete all of the traditional preparations. And God actually used that fact for his glory. As the sun set on Friday, they made plans to return as soon as they could. And since they can't, as good Jewish folks, work on the Sabbath, when is the next window of opportunity? When you got daylight, it is Sunday morning. Again, Mark took this much, I have to take this much to, say, to put all these pieces together. This is amazing. Let that sink in. If Jesus had died at any other time, there might not have been faithful witnesses to the resurrection. Man, Mark includes so many little details that turn out to be big deals. And one of the profound implications of this detail is God can work all things for good. 
The timing of Jesus' death, it didn't just coincide with the timeline of creation in Genesis 1. We could spend a whole message on that. It didn't just coincide with the sacrifices in the temple. We could send a whole message on that. The timing of Jesus' death also ensured that faithful witnesses would be present at the resurrection on the third day. Again, I ask you, can God work all things for good? Even the death of his son? Yeah. And next time you're doing the best you can in a situation and things don't work out as you plan, know that God can still work all things for good. Well, Mark included another important detail in the passage that we just read. He also noted that the two Marys saw where Jesus was laid. And that sets up what comes next. Let's take a look. This is it. Now we're in the final chapter of Mark. Mark 16. We're entering in. We only got eight verses here of this whole chapter. When the Sabbath was passed, we're reading in 16 verse 1, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome brought spices so that they might go and anoint the body. Again, finishing up the work that they didn't have time to complete. So very early on the first day of the week, that Sunday, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. And when the two Marys came to complete those burial preparations, did they know which tomb to go to? Yes, Mark included that detail, didn't he? He said they saw where Jesus was laid. So not the wrong tomb, they're in the right place, and God got them in the right place at the right time. That brings us to verse 3. And they were saying to one another, these women, they said, who's going to roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw the stone had been rolled back. And it was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. And he said to them, don't be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. He's risen. He's not here. Indeed. See the place where they laid him. But go tell his disciples and Peter. I love that, those last two words. And Peter. Whose teaching do we think Mark was following? Peter's. And Peter puts it out there for the world to see. His fears his failures, how broken he was. And here are those words, and Peter. There's a whole message on there, on that, isn't it? So beautiful. No wonder Peter was forever marked by his encounters with Jesus of Nazareth. After all those times he fell short, after all of his fears, after all his failures, Jesus welcomed Peter home. Tell the disciples, tell them, and Peter. Someday we'll circle back to those two words. But this morning, I want to encourage you to write this down as we press on. For the record, our Messiah's tomb was empty. It was empty on Sunday morning. And that now brings us to the ending that somebody didn't like. We're going to end where the oldest and most accurate manuscripts appear to end. And that's verse 8. Someone didn't like that. They were uncomfortable because there's a lot of loose ends that haven't been tied up. And you'll see that as we read it now. Here is how... The oldest, most reliable manuscripts and Mark. But go, tell the disciples and Peter that Jesus is going before you to Galilee. And there you're going to see him just as he told you. And they went out and they fled from the tomb for trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone for they were what? Afraid. They were afraid. And that's it. Happy Easter, everybody. We'll see you. <laughs> That's it. That's where the oldest and most reliable 
manuscripts end? With, with a tomb that's empty? With witnesses who are stepping into a new reality, and as they do, they're astonished and they're afraid. All they know at this point is that Jesus is not in the tomb. Apparently, he's going to meet him in Galilee. Wow. And that's it. And I can't tell you how much I love that ending. I love it. In fact, I'm going to go as far as to leave you with this thought. Our world could use more witnesses who are Christian witnesses who are what? Astonished and afraid. There's a place to write that in your notes. Our world could use more Christian witnesses who are astonished and afraid. Now, for the record, under that on your notes, I have this extended quote from a scholar who I highly respect. And he's one of many who think that there was an ending that was different than this that Mark wrote that somewhere in history got lost. You know, and it may or may not. I, I won't argue strong one way or another. All that we know is that that, mess, that ending, if it ever did exist, we don't know where it is, right, if it, if it did. But even that scholar admits that's a pretty cool place to stop where it does. Let's just say the original ending got eaten by somebody's goat. Just for the sake of argument, all right? Who allowed that goat to eat that ending? The same God who orchestrated history in such a way to get those two women exactly where they needed to be at the right time. So if this ending was lost in history, God allowed it to be lost. And I'm so glad he did. Somewhere, some along the line, someone didn't like that, and they attempted to tie up the loose ends. And I think they, were t- they had good hearts. They're like, we can't leave it here. We got to do something about that. We got to tie up these loose ends. But may I present to you, isn't life one big loose end? Can I get an amen to that? Isn't life one big loose end? Every area of my life is one big loose end. Every area. We don't know how it's going to end. We don't know how it's going to work out. And aren't Christians often at our worst when we try to oversimplify something or we try to explain something that really can't be explained or clean up something that can't be cleaned up or control what can't be controlled? Aren't we often at our worst in those situations? You know, as, as a pastor, I get brought into a lot of situations where I would like nothing more than to tell you it's all going to work out the way you hoped. That if you just pray this prayer with enough faith, you're going to get what you hope and what you pray for. I, I wish I could do that sometimes, you know. I wish I could say, if you just live a God-honoring life, God will protect you from all evil. I, I wish I could give you that promise. But here's the truth. Let me tell you what the truth is. Sometimes mountains do move. And sometimes God says, The mountain needs to stay where it is. And sometimes we pray with all our heart for God to remove this thorn from our side. And sometimes we hear what Paul heard. My grace is sufficient for you. And sometimes that shepherd does lead us to green pastures and still waters. And sometimes he leads us through the dark valley. And it appears that that dark valley has got a cross at the end of it. And as we bring this series called Marked to a Close... May I present to you that two marks of a true disciple are that we're astonished and we're a little afraid, if we're honest. Now, even as I say that, 
Does, do, do I know that perfect love drives out all fear? Of course, the Bible says that. But raise your hand if you're perfect. Rick's got his hand up. <laughs> three services in a row. <laughs> He's three for three. Perfect record. So if anyone in this room is close to perfect, it's Rick. Can I get an amen on that one? Yeah, right? You're as close to perfect as we've got. The rest of us, Rick, no other hands went up, man. Even though perfect love drives out all fear, doesn't the word of God also remind us that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of of wisdom. And may I present to you that healthy fear, healthy fear will drive you deeper into a relationship with the one through whom perfect love is perfected and found. One of Mark's themes, as we've been working through Mark, one of the themes of Mark is true discipleship. What does it mean to be a true disciple of Jesus Christ? And those who proved to be true disciples, were they afraid? Yeah, they were. Often. They were astonished, and they were sometimes afraid. And they weren't the first God followers to feel that way. I mean, how do you think Noah felt? Hey, Noah, here's the blueprints to a really big boat. That's a gopher tree over there, and here's an axe. Have at it, you know. How do you think Abraham felt when God said, pack your bags, going on an adventure? Or Moses, Moses, here's the words, I'm sending you back to Egypt. And all you get is a snake stick. Here you go. And then there's Mary. And she hears the words, you're going to have a baby. Surprise! <laughs> She's like, oh. <laughs> that was perfect, Rick. That was perfect. You know, the one that hit me last night, 1130, Lord's like, why are you getting up out of bed? Because... Um, the one that hit me last night, Joseph of Arimathea. He was, let me tell you a little bit about him. Matthew, well, let me start with this. Mark presents Joseph of Arimathea, this guy who got the tomb. He presents him as a true disciple. He presents him as a respected member of the Jewish council. He, pres he presents him as a man who had eyes to see the kingdom of God. That was one of the marks of a disciple. And without Joseph, there's no what? Without Joseph of Arimathea, there's no tomb. Okay? So he's presented as this this, this uh, true disciple, here's what else we know about Joseph of Arimathea from the rest of the Gospels. Matthew adds that Joseph was rich, and he calls him a disciple, specifically uses those words. Joseph of Arimathea, disciple of Jesus. Luke adds, he was a good and righteous man. And Luke says this, he said, you know, Joseph of Arimathea, he was on the council, he didn't consent. He didn't consent to what they wanted to do to Jesus. Luke adds that. Well, here's what John adds. And this is particularly interesting because John had an inside track with the, the, the council, apparently, because he knew the high priest, and the high priest knew of him. So John had a little insider track. You know what John said about Joseph of Arimathea? He said he was afraid. John said that Joseph of Arimathea was afraid. Sometimes we aren't given all the answers. Sometimes we are not told how a chapter of our life will end. And sometimes that next step of faith that God leads us on or calls us to, it's a scary one. But here's what we do know as we take that step in courage. We know that our Messiah, he was obedient even unto death. And when it looked like there was no hope at all, here's what else we know. 
There's an empty tomb that testifies to the fact that God knows what he's doing when he calls us to things. So, like those who went before us, we set our face on the next horizon and we take that next step of faith towards the risen sun. And as I was preparing this Easter message, I was reminded this church really began with a small group of people who were astonished and afraid. And I see so many of your faces. So you can testify to this. It was clear when this church started that God was going to do something new. And he was calling some of us into it. But for us, most of us, that meant leaving something that felt really secure. It meant leaving churches that had buildings. It meant leaving churches that had budgets. It meant leaving churches that had lots of people. It meant leaving churches where it felt safe and secure and we knew all kinds of folks and our relationships went back. For most of us, that's what it meant. We were astonished God's doing something, but we were a little afraid because you know what our Galilee was? And you guys can testify to this who've been here. Here was our Galilee when God called us out of what felt like such safety. Our Galilee was a name that God gave us. It was a denomination that most of us had never heard of before. And it was an open door at a middle school. Yep, says Bob. That was our Galilee. And in faith, we took those first steps. And if you asked me right now, as people do, tell us about the future. It's a lot. I could make something up. <laughs> I could give you my best guess. But we don't know the details of how our next chapter is going to end. But here's what we are committed to. As committed as we were, actually as more committed than we've ever been. Here's what we're committed to as we go forward. Should the Lord tarry, it is my hope, it is my prayer, that even if we don't know how our next chapter is going to end, we're going to be found faithful. Can I get an amen? We're going to be found faithful. We're going to do the best we can in, with the power of the Holy Spirit to live as people who have been marked by the life and teachings of Jesus Christ. We are going to respond as immediately as we can when we hear him say, go. We are going to do our best to say, Holy Spirit, give us eyes to see. We're going to do our best to remain awake and alert as we wait for the day of his coming. We're going to do the best we can when he says, throw down a cloak, we throw it down. When he says, let your temple be cleansed, right away we say, cleanse this temple. It is my hope that we will continue to be astonished by a God whose ways are higher than ours, it is also my hope that any fear that we have will draw us closer to our Heavenly Father. And it's my prayer that we'll continue to stand firm in the belief that the tomb was empty and one day ours will be too. Can I get an amen? Come forward. Let's pray now and enter into this holy moment. Father, Thank you sounds so small when we think of this big thing that you've done that is being commemorated by billions of people all around the world today. So we join with those voices. We proclaim your wonders with astonishment. And it's with more than just a little fear that we yield our lives once again fully to you, not knowing how that chapter will end when we do. So, Lord, we pray that you will take this, these elements, make them for us your body, make them for us your blood. And as we lay down 
everything that your Holy Spirit brings to our minds, we pray, Lord, that you'll continue to guide our next steps. And we're thankful for an empty tomb that testifies to the fact that you will never leave or forsake us and that you can work all things for good. Amen.